The, the thing I always tell my students is you need to be able to do it yourself before you can outsource it. You need to at least have an understanding of it. What I find is so many people just want to throw an ambiguous task at a virtual assistant. Uh, somebody, they're paying three to $4 an hour and say, not you enough. figure this out. Pay more. Uh, and that's just, <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen effectively. Uh, the way I found to be really effective with virtual assistants is to create train tracks and let them drive that train on the tracks. You're going to need to help when, when those tracks diverge, when there's, there's an issue, to get them back on track. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, where we believe the best way to achieve financial freedom is by building streams of passive income through the most proven investment asset class in the world, real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Nick Giulioni. And today we're talking about his journey escaping his high-paying W-2 in the tech space to invest in real estate and how he has employed virtual assistants to help him do that, to help him build his real estate investing business, help him build his passive income and deal flow to the point where he could leave his W-2 job, move out of Southern California and live his dreams of being a real estate investor. Great lessons in this one. We're really digging into the thought process, the motivation and the procedures to employ virtual assistants in a real estate investing business. We talk about how he took those first initial steps to hire his initial VAs, lessons that he learned along the way, and so much more. Virtual assistants have helped me incredibly in my real estate investing business because they allow us to have more time to work on our businesses rather than in our businesses. And you may have heard that phrase before. Today, we're digging into the nuts and bolts of how hiring VAs helped Nick work on his business and not in his business. So a lot of great lessons in this one. You're going to learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what I do, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and we look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content. You're escaping the Wall Street casino. You're building streams of passive income with real estate with us. And that's what we're, that's what this is all about. That's what the show is for, is to help you do that. And by leaving us a rating and review, you help other people get engaged with the show and help them do the same. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Once again, our guest today is Nick Giulioni from Off Leash Investments. Today, we're learning about how he has employed virtual assistants in his real estate investing business. Without any further ado, here we go. Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. Tell us about yourself and your business. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on the, the show here. I'm really excited. Uh, yeah, so my history is uh, pretty pretty widespread. I've kind of done the W-2 thing, recently moved into the full-time real estate. I'm currently an investor, a flipper, uh, a coach, and actually most recently a CEO of a wedding venue. So lots of lots of different stuff. Do you want me to go through kind of my, my history and how, how I got here? Yeah, please do. I'd like our listeners to learn about your journey, how you built up, and then we'll dig into you know your business and, and hiring assistants for your business. Absolutely. Yeah. So 
I'm kind of that Fang Defy guy. So for anybody who's not familiar with Fang, it's the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Uh, I worked at uh, a variety of different tech companies over the years, uh, my last job being within that, that Fang space. But the truth of the matter is I'm not that special. Uh, I'm not all that smart. I, I, I'm not a coder. I'm not one of these guys that's made an incredible amount of money throughout my entire career. I'm a pretty normal sales guy without any real technical ability, no construction, but I did purchase my first home back in 2016. It was a house hack in Southern California when I still lived there. And I got that first, that first rent check from somebody that was living above my garage. And I got absolutely addicted to that idea. So I just started listening to, to the bigger pockets, listening to a ton of different podcasts out there, reading every book I could possibly get my hands on to prepare myself to, to grow that empire. And in 2017, I had my job actually publicly threatened if I didn't do something illegal. Well, really terrible, terrible situation. And I knew in that moment that I ever was in this situation again, I needed to be able to walk out the door uh, and, and not, uh, not be a part of that. So I really didn't get my wife on board. Big miss on my part. But I did a, a ton of research and uh, actually bought my first uh, out-of-state investment property out here in Indianapolis from, from Southern California. Uh, didn't have the money to be investing more than Southern California, as, as many of your listeners are probably aware. It's, it's a little expensive out there. The numbers don't tend to make a ton of sense. And so, yeah, we, we bought that first property. It went fairly well. We had a couple of hiccups. Um, and then in 2018, really decided to, to scale things up. For those of your, your uh, listeners who are familiar with it, uh, we started doing the BRRRR strategy. Uh, so buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat, uh, where we were able to, to recycle our funds. We didn't have a lot of money. But we were able to, to go and use that strategy to recycle funds. We did a couple of portfolio acquisitions that were uh, particularly uh, good for us. And in 2018, we went from there are two doors that we owned to 10 doors. Uh, 2019, continued to, to do all of that. Um, actually had a, a property manager go bad on us and, and steal some money from us, but uh, still ended up purchasing another 20 properties in 2019, 2020. Uh, bad year for everybody else uh, in the world, it seemed like. But for us, it was the best year of our entire lives. We uh, we actually packed up our car and decided to stop paying four grand a month to to live in California. And uh, with our two golden retrievers, drove out to to Indianapolis to to ride out the the COVID quarantine and purchased another twenty properties. Pardon me, twenty four properties that year. Absolutely incredible. Got really hands on with the business, but. 2021 was kind of a, a different thing. I remember I actually reached out to my best friend and, and now business partner. And I told him, hey, 2021, I'm going to slow down. I need to get my systems right. Things were break left and right from a, a tracking perspective, property management. Things weren't going as efficiently as they, they could have. So I literally, I told him at the beginning of the year, hey, this year, I'm going to buy like five properties. That's it. It's going to be chill. I ended up hiring my first team member, a virtual assistant out of the Philippines, uh, who's become an incredible friend and, and uh, almost a family member at this point. And I, I tasked her with getting our systems fixed. I also tasked her and, and gave her an incentive structure that uh, incented uh, us doing transactions. And uh, needless to say, incentives work. And we ended up buying 28 properties in, in our down, uh, which was, was pretty crazy. So in 2022 came, uh, I was still working full time. Ended up quitting my job this year. I was really excited to do it. Ended up uh, creating a, a big uh, membership with people to, to help grow, uh, grow what we're doing. Uh, we launched a coaching program. 1031 into a wedding venue, which we can talk about. Uh, definitely the best deal I've ever done. 
Uh, and so far we've bought and sold somewhere between 25 and 35 doors, depending on, uh, on when this, this publishes. So really, uh, really excited about that. Awesome. I love it. I love the way you scaled. Uh, first, I'd like to dig into why did you pick Indianapolis way back in the day? Why did you pick that market and, and like getting started? A lot of folks from Southern California might start with like a turnkey property or something like that to get their foot in the door. Why Indy? Yeah. Variety of reasons why I picked it. I wish I could say that uh, it was really well-reasoned one. It wasn't. I, I did look, <laughs> I, I understood uh, rent-to-value ratios. I understood California didn't make sense operating there at about a 0.3 to 0.4% rent-to-value. And the way that's calculated just for everybody to have an understanding is you look at the monthly rent that you're able to pull in and you divide that by what that house is worth. So mm -hmm. in California, we were living in a house that immediately after we moved sold for $1.2 million. Uh, and we were renting it for $4,000 a month. So that was a, you know, point, uh, what is that? Point three percent right to value ratio that, uh, that somebody was able to get. Sorry, I don't, I try not to do public math. So not a very good rent to value ratio. When I was looking at Indianapolis, it was a little bit different of a scenario. I was looking at, uh, back then when I started investing, it was a 1%, if not a little bit higher rule. So you would buy something for a hundred thousand dollars, rent out for a thousand dollars. So that was one big piece of it. Another is uh, that you know, I, I was listening to all these podcasts and there were a lot of influencers who were buying out here. So I was totally influenced. They got me. And then finally, the last one is I didn't have a whole lot of money to be investing. I didn't have $100,000 to go uh, buy a $400,000 property in Utah. I only had several, you know, several tens of thousands of dollars to invest. So I needed to get something somewhere between seventy dollars and $100,000. And Indianapolis happened to, to fit that. The last one, I happened to have a couple of cousins out here. We weren't all that close before uh, before that point, but uh, it was a cool opportunity to to potentially get close with them. Awesome. Great. I think that's pretty sound logic. I mean, granted, you could have done more research in the process and, and things along those lines, but you happened to get into a decent market and, um, you know, you, you made it happen. So there's, I think that's the most you can really say or the most that needs to be said. So I'd like to dig into today hiring virtual assistants for a real estate business, your process to do that. I mean, you, it sounds like you gave your VA, uh, at least the first one, pretty substantial task. And I don't know how much guidance you gave them, but I, I'd like to kind of step back because for, for me back in the day, and I think for many others, our first question is, okay, I can, I get that people are, are I, I, wanna, I don't want to say using VAs, hiring VAs for their business because we hire employees. We don't use employees. We hire them. So I get that people are hiring VAs for their businesses, but I don't even know where to start. What could I give a VA to do that's not just going to be a gigantic headache and waste of you know time and money on, on all parts? So how did you first come to that of let's start with this thing and you know go for that? Yeah. Really good question. Really broad. Um, if I get off topic, uh, make sure to reel me back in here. <laughs> sure. So I'll actually take a quarter step back from that. I am a pretty organized person. I'm very much a checklist person. Mm. And so uh, with every single property we were purchasing, every single property we were selling, every single vacancy we had, I had a series of events that needed to occur in order for that to successfully happen. Uh, when I get under contract, I need to make sure I send the earnest money. Otherwise, we're going to have a really hard time. I need to make sure that uh, I immediately reach out to my inspector. I reach out to my insurance agent. You know, there, there's about 30, 40 different things that need to occur before a property is uh, is purchased. 
there are 30 to 40 different things before every refund. It's every, every single uh, vacancy and every single uh, sale. So I had done a really good job of building, building out these systems for myself and this was able to, to very quickly move through and check those things off the list. But my, my to-do list was getting bigger and bigger as we were scaling. You know, we were doing, you know, it's not, not so bad when you're doing one to, to two properties at a time. It gets pretty crazy when you're doing 10 properties at a time uh, and just making sure you're following up with everything, you're getting invoices for everything, you're logging everything uh, appropriately. That was becoming pretty onerous on me and I stopped doing it. And that was really the problem is things started to break when I stopped doing it. I still had them on my to-do list. They just weren't getting done. So then I decided to sit down one, one day and I was like, all right, which of these can I be the only one who does it? And then I, I literally, I just said, all right, this one doesn't need to be me. I've got a great, great insurance agent. Somebody else can send that, that email off. Uh, earnest money. Yeah, I probably don't want uh, somebody I'm not too familiar with dealing with my bank account. That That's a Nick task. Reasonable. Um, you know, uh, yeah, making sure that uh, something as simple as making sure that the uh, the closing is on my schedule and that it's blocked off. Hell, that doesn't need to be me. That can be somebody else managing my calendar on my behalf. So I sat down, I did all of that. I made sure that, um, made sure every single step was, was systemized. And then I went through and on Loom, for anybody who's not familiar, Loom is a, a screen recording software. You can do it on Zoom, just do it by yourself. Uh, there's another one called Descript that I really like. But just I sat down and I literally created a screen share where I showed somebody exactly how to do what we were doing. And once I had done that, I probably invested an entire week, 40 hours worth of work into literally on every single item, creating a how-to. It wasn't pretty. Uh, I still have those pages. Uh, let me tell you, my our systems have evolved a lot in the last year or two that uh, that we've been doing this. But I created these systems that they could then go follow and like how to do every single thing. That's when I reached out and I uh, used a service to help me find uh, my initial VA. And we can talk more about that if, if that interests you. But I brought her on board. And I literally, I sat her in front of a bunch of YouTube videos. Uh, there was you know, YouTube videos on how to use uh, the software we'd like to use for our project management and data management called Notion. Fantastic tool for anybody who, who hasn't checked it out. Uh, I had her watch a bunch of videos on Slack, got her in there, got her an email address and um, got, got the communication going. I would then sit down and I would spend an hour with her every single day which was a lot of time, uh, given that I wanted to, to go buy properties. I had a full-time job. Uh, I had a wife. I've got two golden retrievers who are amazing. And I, I would spend that hour and it would probably save me 15 minutes of time. She would probably only save me about 15 minutes, but I did it every single day until that hour I was getting an hour back. I would spend that hour and I would get four hours back. Now I have a call with my VA team for 30 minutes every single morning in each one of them probably doesn't do it exactly the way I would do it. So they probably don't save me their eight hour shift of my own time. But now I spend that effort. And from each of them, I probably get four to six hours worth of my own time back. And now they're out there going and, uh, and generating incremental revenue for me. Wow. So it sounds like you were helped immensely by your tendency to make lists and checklists and procedures just kind of for yourself that you could walk through those processes. And I would say personally, I'm a little bit minded that way. I maybe do more uh, to-do lists than than checklists, but they are incredibly helpful. And you said through that process initially, before you had hired somebody, you went through and you said, what has to be a Nick task and what can be a somebody else task? 
over time, as you've gone back, and I imagine you've gotten better at this on your side, you've become a better employer of VAs. Did that kind of shift? And did you end up getting more comfortable with handing a lot of those tasks over? Now, I'll admit things like banking, you know, all that, you probably never want to give that up. I can't, I couldn't blame you for that. But has that changed? Have you handed more off to the team? How have you evolved? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I hand off a lot of things uh, to my team now. Uh, believe it or not, I've actually handed off quite a bit of the banking piece as well. Wow. I, I've taken a slightly different approach. So for anybody who I, I wouldn't necessarily give them access to to everything that you've got, what I have done is I've created a separate bank uh, bank account that has a much smaller amount of money that then they have access to. The opportunity to steal is still there, um, but I only give that to uh, my my most trusted people that have been with me for for the longest time who I've, I've built a a good relationship with. But yes, uh, from a high level, I, I don't even uh, in a lot of cases uh, I don't sign the initial documents to to get things under contract at this point. Uh, they're at the point now that I really only come into the equation a couple of days before close just to validate that everything has has gone off uh, appropriately. So yeah, we've we've uh, grown quite a bit. And uh, yeah, uh, so I, I really am almost irrelevant in my business, which has become a really cool place to be. That's awesome. I love it. Every time I, I sit back and I reflect a little bit on tasks that I've handed off to VAs in, in my business, and I think about, man, I used to spend hours a week doing this thing, and now I can pay somebody else to do it. And yeah, maybe they don't do it exactly the way I would have done it, but I get that time back to work on my business or to spend with my fiance or, you know, enjoy my life. It's, it's just the best. And I'm always looking for more things to, to hand off. Now, like I said before, I, I would imagine that you get better at this as you go along. I know I've gotten better at it. I know I made a lot of mistakes, but for you and your business, what maybe a couple things sticks out as lessons that you learned, mistakes that you made in hiring VAs, for your business. I and mean, we all make mistakes as part of the process. We're not going to be perfect at the first try. So what went wrong? Yeah. Uh, it's actually not limited to just VAs in my experience, <laughs> but no, I, I want to be friends with everybody, man. It's a, it'll, my personality. I want everybody to be great and I want everyone to be my friend. Unfortunately, not everybody's great and not everybody is friend material. And uh, so I've seen this both on the you know, property management side, agent side. I've seen this within my VAs is uh, these are people I'm working with. Uh, it's okay to be friendly. That doesn't mean they need to be your friends and they need to be held accountable for their their performance. And if you see things uh, start to, to slip, you need to address it. Uh, I've had, you know, like I said, a property manager. I've had a, a virtual assistant who... I allowed things to slip for too long. I tried to give feedback. Uh, it wasn't received and I didn't cut ties soon enough. So I wasted uh, a decent amount of money in both situations and just administrative overhead. So you think about things and uh, not trust that things were actually getting accomplished. And so I would say that that was one of my biggest, uh, one of my biggest mistakes. Another one that I'll just say is setting proper expectations about communication. Uh, that's that's one of the things that I think everybody should do is uh, understand that there are multiple different levels of outsourcing to somebody. There's the, hey, I want you to do some research on this and then come back to me. Uh, there's, hey, I want you to, to go handle this and tell me how it went. There's the, hey, go handle this and confirm it's done. And then finally, the, hey, go do this. I don't want to hear about it. This is your problem, not mine. And I think early on, I was much more likely to send somebody to, or I, I didn't set the expectation that they communicate back to me. So there was a little bit of nagging in my head, like, hey, was this actually dealt with? I think 
getting some level of, of feedback, whether that's communication back or some some ability for you to asynchronously be able to go check to see something's done or post it or, or something like that would uh, would have been a whole lot smarter for me early on. And I would have had a whole lot less anxiety. Uh, it would have felt less like I was nagging these people who are doing such incredible work for me that I would um, you know reach out to them and, um, and, and to make sure that something was done. It, it almost seemed like I didn't trust them in that situation because I didn't set it up from the start to uh, to be able to validate. So it is that as simple as adding something in Slack to say, hey, I just need you to tell me this is done? Or how do you go back and kind of retroactively fix that and say, I don't know, hey, hey look, I it's not it's not you, it's me. I need a report about this because otherwise I just need a report about it. I don't know. How do you go back and kind of revise that, rework the system and then make sure it doesn't yeah. know, all fall apart? Well, make sure in that checklist that there are effective check-ins uh, with it that they need to accomplish. So each each property has a variety of different pro- project status points that they need to check in to make sure that everything's okay. Whether that's through Slack saying, hey, did this, done. Or it's as simple as going and uh, logging something in your accounting software. So then if you ever want to, to go check, you can find it right there in your accounting software. But setting that expectation and making that a part of the project, I think is going to be going to be pretty key. Great. So the next big question, uh, I think is people, people ask when they get started is where do I find these people? Where do I find the good ones? Where do I find the, the term that I have grown to hate so much with VAs? Where do I find the rockstar VA? You can do everything better <laughs> than I can. They'll work for three bucks an hour for some reason, but they can handle it all. Where do I go to find that person? One. And then two, is that a reasonable expectation. Yeah, I don't think it's reasonable to expect somebody to come in there and do your job better than you. The the thing I always tell my students is you need to be able to do it yourself before you can outsource it. You need to at least have an understanding of it. What I find is so many people just want to throw an ambiguous task at a virtual assistant, uh, somebody they're paying three to four dollars an hour and say, not you enough. figure this out. Pay more. Uh, and that's just, <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen effectively. Uh, the way I found to be really effective with virtual assistants is to create train tracks and let them drive that train on the tracks. You're going to need to help when when those tracks diverge, when there's there's an issue to get them back on track. So do I think that person exists? Maybe, maybe there's some needle in the haystack out there. But what I've found really effective is to figure out exactly what you need, figure out, hey, this is what I need done, and then go hire to those skill sets. I would rather hire somebody without the experience, but has the skill set, and then go train them up to the level. I've had one of my virtual assistants now work with me for almost two years, and at the end of the year, it'll be two years. And she's absolutely incredible. She moved out here to the States. She's now managing all of my other virtual assistants. She didn't have that, that skill set when she started. And let me tell you, her compensation has risen substantially over that period as she has grown in responsibility. So how do you find these people? Uh, one is referrals. I think that's absolutely fantastic. There are a ton of different agencies out there that do it. Uh, I'll plug right now the, the agency that really helped me find my first one was called Sphere Rocket. Absolutely incredible. It's not cheap. Not cheap at all, uh, but they helped to, to really uh, figure that piece out. I would also ask for referrals. Uh, a lot of people are using virtual assistants. Uh, these virtual assistants might have friends that uh, that are interested. Uh, I would say that's one way. And I'll just you know plug ourselves here. Uh, we're starting up a, a little bit of a, a virtual uh, virtual assistant uh, agency on our side. So feel free to reach out if you know there's something something specific you're looking for, and we might be able to help as well. Great. Do you pay those folks directly or do you pay through 
the agency? Because I've heard that um, agencies can take quite like 50% of the compensation. Personally, I'd rather just pay the VA directly because those, I mean, 50% is a huge amount of money. I mean, if I'm getting, you know, only yeah. getting half of what I should get paid, I'm going to be upset, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so there are a couple of ways that uh, agencies work. Uh, the way Sphere Rocket worked is uh, I paid an upfront fee to help find the right individual. And then uh, that individual came and began working for me directly. So that's one model. You have to be ready to inherit 40 plus hours a week worth of work. Uh, mm-hmm. If you don't have that, then somebody's going to be sitting there twiddling their thumbs and, uh, and have nothing to do. So the other model to what you were just talking about is that agency model. I would generally say that's good for people who might only have five to 15 hours worth of work uh, that needs to be done on a uh, weekly basis. If you do that, then somebody else is paying, paying the overhead is filling the other hours. Uh, so there might be, you know, some, some value in, in going that approach. 50% seems a little excessive as an agency fee, but yeah, variety of different, uh, different ways those things work. The way we are, are currently doing it is, uh, if somebody needs to, uh, needs to hire somebody full-time, we can help them do that. Otherwise, uh, we do have the ability to uh, I need to come up with a better term, sublease these, uh, these hours from us as well. Hmm. Hmm. Agency freelancing or something. You can, you can work that out, but it's, it's part-time, yeah. uh, part-time freelance yeah. virtual assistants, I suppose, in a way. Exactly. Exactly. And what's really cool is, uh, we've got, got all our team, uh, trained up to do things that I'm terrible at. If it was up to me, the utility companies, <laughs> uh, would never get a call and my, my tenants would be sitting in the dark. Um, so Things like uh, calling up utility companies, running comps, things like that, that, um, that are, are a little bit tedious uh, and, and saves you a, a lot of sanity. That's, uh, that's what I use my virtual assistants for or hire my virtual assistants for. Uh, pardon my, my terminology there. <laughs> and uh, I figure other people have, have similar needs. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I step into the, the trap that I want to get away of saying, quote, use VAs. I mean, that's part of the parlance that you're just going to hear out there in the sphere of talking about virtual assistants. But ultimately... When I shifted my mindset, and I still think this way in my mind, although it doesn't always verbalize this way, when I shifted my mindset to I'm employing virtual assistants, then I was more able to get more professional people who are going to show up, get the work done. Yeah, they they charge more. They want more money, That's but that's okay. It's about my the value that I get and the time that I get back uh, in my business. So employ VAs, don't use VAs. But uh, right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Nick, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Uh, Absolutely. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? And other than my wife's wedding ring, because she's smarter, (laughs) better looking, makes more money than I do. I've got to say, I did an incredible, incredible deal out here in uh, in, a city called Avon, just outside of Indianapolis. I had a a partner, really a friend who was looking to to do a 1031 exchange. 
uh, out of out of some property in Southern California. I found this incredible portfolio of 17 identical homes in an A-class neighborhood. I negotiated for him a, a reduction in price. I negotiated seller financing for him. I wasn't expecting to get anything out of this. I'm not an agent. I was just around the football. That's that's the term I like to use in this situation. Did this incredible deal. His wife at the last minute decided that she didn't want any debt because he's a little bit older. They're closer to retirement. And this whole deal is about to blow up. And I say, all right, hold on. Let's, let's see if I can't figure this thing out. He ended up buying nine of those houses cash. I ended up buying the other eight houses completely seller financed, no money out of my pocket because from the seller's perspective, he, uh, he was getting you know, over a 50% down payment on this sucker. And so I bought eight houses, 100% seller financed, ended up investing. We, we probably invested about $8,000 a piece on these things. We bought them for $129 a piece. And uh, they appraised just a couple of months later for $165,000. Now, a hedge fund came and off, well, it gets even better. Hedge fund came a month later and offered us $183,000 a piece for them. Uh, so we ended up making a substantial, substantial sum of money. Ended up 1031ing uh, out of those suckers, so which I bought for zero money out of pocket. Uh, now I own 59% of the nicest wedding venue in uh, wedding venue in all of Indiana. Indiana. Uh, it's down in uh, Bloomington. Absolutely fantastic that we're starting to build little Airbnbs on and taking uh, taking up to 11. So. I would say that's by far the best deal I've ever done. And the only reason I got it is because I was around the football. Uh, I wasn't looking to, to profit myself. I was just there. And when that ball, that, that fumble occurred, I was there to uh, scoop and score. Awesome. So in that hedge fund acquisition, did you just like, I guess, did you and the, the other gentleman that you, in the deal kind of go your separate ways right when you acquired or how did that, that like split happen? Or is he still involved? Yeah. So uh, when when the purchase occurred, we had our own two separate entities. He owned nine of them. I owned eight. The hedge fund came and offered us for all 17. And so he ended up rolling forward again with me. And uh, that's we, we ended up buying the wedding venue together. So that's why cool. I own 59%. He owns 41. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah. I will always remember uh, this house. It's on Winthrop Street. Uh, it was the duplex I purchased. It was the first project I did that wasn't a turnkey out here in Indianapolis. I invested a ton of money, didn't understand the order of operations, trusted the property manager to do the rehab for me, and it wasn't renting. And I couldn't figure out why. I'd invested so much money into this deal and an awesome duplex, or at least I thought so. And I flew out here uh, to, to Indiana, and I just remember walking into this duplex, and I was in tears. I, like, I couldn't believe it. It was terrible. Uh, my mm. property manager wasn't the right person to manage this rehab. They didn't care about it nearly as much as I did. I should have gotten a scope of work before I ever purchased the unit, of course, like I was an idiot. And so for that reason, I ended up selling that sucker. It sold on Christmas Eve. I ended up losing just a couple thousand dollars. It could have been so, so much worse. <laughs> uh, it was going to be owner occupied. It was going to be a house hack. And I had a, uh, a Christmas tree delivered on the day of, of sale because it was Christmas Eve. And I was so happy to be done with that thing. Nice. Well, you know, we learn our lessons sometimes the hard way. Losing a few thousand bucks is not great, but like you said, it could have been a whole lot Cheap worse. Cheap education. That's right. That's Cheap right. education. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? 
Yeah. Uh, I've learned so many things over the last several years in doing this. I would say the number one thing is be around the football. Uh, and I know that, you know, the sports fans out there might not understand what that necessarily means, but be around when things are happening. Even if you don't know necessarily how or if it's going to benefit you, the number of times I've just been around a deal and something has come back to benefit me, it is astronomical. Try and go out there, help people, be as generous as possible, have empathy for everybody in every transaction. And you might just find a way to unintentionally weasel yourself into the best deal you've ever had. <laughs> but it's less weaseling if you're, it's not weaseling if you're adding value to others legitimately. But I see, I see. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not a big sports absolutely, fan, but, but I use sports metaphors all the time. So you're all right. Perfect. I appreciate it. You're giving me some grace there. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all these lessons. I think more investors should aim to employ VAs in their real estate businesses. And I'll just help you go further and just generally, I think, be less stressed out in your real estate investing if you do it right. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more about what you're up to, I know you've got coaching programs and everything like that going on, where can they track you down? Yeah, absolutely. Best way to get in touch with me is nick at offleashinvestments.com. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram at offleashinvestments. And if anybody wants to get married in Indiana, for whatever reason, if you happen to be a Hoosier, I uh, got an awesome wedding venue, reach out to uh, the Wilds venue. Uh, you're, you'll find it pretty quickly if you, you go on Google. Awesome. Love it. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping of the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye. <laughs>